we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to uh, John 15, verse 1, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, for context, this section of narrative that we are jumping into this morning is uh, captures the last 24 hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And we are in the middle of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. So within the flow of this conversation, Jesus has just explained that he is one with the Father and the Spirit. Uh, but also, he's explained that the disciples themselves are going to get uh, curiously wrapped up in the life of the Trinitarian God that he is describing. He's saying, hey, I'm going back to the Father, but it's, it's a good thing for your sake because you are going to receive the Spirit and we're going to make our home in you. Father, Spirit, and Son as one triune God are going to come and actually be present uh, within you. They will live in you and you will be in in them. Uh, and then we're going to pick up here in John 15, verse 1. Jesus continues this conversation. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Uh, remain in me as I also remain in you. Uh, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we turn our hearts, our minds, our uh, attention toward you in this moment. Uh, but it's for the purpose, Lord, this morning of actually uh, learning uh, what it looks like to do that in every moment. We're so grateful for this uh, opportunity, for this space where we can gather, where uh, most of the distractions from normal life are set aside, where we can uh, sort of recenter and uh, ourselves on you and grow in our awareness of your presence. But Lord, as we do, we come under your authority, under your kingship, uh, as apprentices, under the master teacher. We want to learn from you how to live really rich, full, vibrant, lives, life uh, that is truly life in the midst of all of our pain, uh, the instability of this world, the things that we wrestle with day in and day out, you have on offer a type of life that nobody else uh, can offer. And so we come to you as students under a teacher, uh, as brothers and sisters united in one family under a new father. Would you come in the power of the Spirit? Would you speak to us uh, and teach us how to live life the way that you intended? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, at the heart of our discipleship lies this call to, quote, abide in Jesus and bear much fruit. In fact, our entire discipleship journey, from the time that we first give our lives to Jesus uh, to the time that we stand before him at the end of the age, can be summed up using this framework. Uh, as disciples or apprentices of Jesus, uh, we are called uh, to do these three things. Number one, 
to be with Jesus. Uh, Number two, uh, over the course of time being with him, we are then to be shaped and become like Jesus. And out of that new personhood and new character and and the spirit within us, we are then to to do uh, what Jesus would do if he were you. Uh, But it all starts with this idea of being with Jesus. And that is this foundational concept to our lives, to discipleship, to apprenticeship under him, to what we are to do between now and when the kingdom of heaven comes in full. Uh, But despite being foundational and sort of the first step the foundational level of discipleship central to our lives, uh, we aren't really told how to do this. Jesus just says, abide. Abide in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Uh, And in this way, Jesus is saying, you'll be transformed uh, in my presence and through my empowering grace in your life. Uh, You will become like me over time. You will bear this fruit that you could never bear apart from being rooted in me. And and you'll start doing the things that I will do. In fact, in speaking of the collective uh, family of disciples, he said in the verses that we looked at previously, he said, you will actually do greater things than me. So you'll go out and you'll do the same things that I've been doing. But it all starts with being with me, with abiding uh, and in bearing fruit out of that. And so we can hear those things, and maybe you're hearing them this morning and saying, all right, like I'm sold. I want to abide as the first step to becoming like Jesus and doing what he would do. Uh, how do I abide? What are you talking about? What, what does that mean? What does it look like uh, day in and day out? If I were to tell you to take the entire day off tomorrow and clear your schedule of all obligations and just practice abiding in Jesus, what would you do? And, and I would argue that it would probably look different for each one of us And that's okay. I think each one of us would approach this concept or idea of being with Jesus, abiding in Jesus in a slightly uh, different way. There would be some common themes among all of us. There would be some universal threads that would run through everyone's experience. But abiding, I would argue, is actually going to look a little bit different depending on who you are, your personality, your makeup, your wiring, the stage of life that you're in, uh, the way you conceptualize uh, communing with God and opening up to Him. It's actually going to look a little different for each one. So what I want to do this morning, rather than me just explaining, hey, here's what abiding looks like in my life from one perspective, uh, I actually want us to hear a variety of voices so that we get a more representative sample of what this can look like in the life of a disciple of Jesus. So I have Evan uh, and Janice that I've invited up here. Uh, And the simple question that I'm going to pose to each of them is this. um, What does abiding look like in your life? Uh, So maybe if you want to start by telling us what your lives look like uh, in this season, and then uh, share a little bit on what it looks like for you to abide in the midst of that life. All right. Uh, can you hear me? Um, what my <laughs> what my current life looks like? Um, oh, yeah. It's like a heavy, tiring question. <laughs> um, I am the mom to five children. Um, I never thought I'd ever say those words, but here I am. <laughs> um, I have three biological kids. I've got two. We adopted two of our nieces. Um, I run a carpool for middle schoolers. Um, I'm a chauffeur. <laughs> um, I'm a registered nurse that works at Sacred Heart on the weekends, uh, a pediatric nurse. Um, I'm teaching this lovely teenager how to drive, which that requires a whole other dose of Jesus that I didn't know I needed until <laughs> even in our parking lot today. He's doing a good job. It's, it's, it's yeah. Um, yeah, and I help organize one of our MCs here at Rivers Edge. 
do I go to the next? Yeah, that's great. So that's sort of a snapshot of what life looks like hour to hour, day to day, busy, full of stuff going on, distractions, being pulled three different ways at once. What does it look like for you to um, abide? None of us does it perfectly, but what what does that look like in your life? How do you commune with Jesus, stay connected to Jesus hour by hour through the days that go by? Yeah, and that's, it, it definitely has to be like hour by hour, minute by minute. Um, so Matt asked me this question like a week ago. So I've been, <laughs> I have like thrown around all sorts of things and I'm like, I'd love to be like, I sit down and I read my Bible for like 30 minutes a day and I have this like great, <laughs> should I? Yes. Um, but it just doesn't look like that like most of the time. Um, I am someone who gets anxious and overstimulated very easily. So, you know, drop five kids into that and two with some trauma, (laughs) and I'm also a foster mom to an older adopted kid. Um, I think God is like, this will be fun to watch. Like, (laughs) let's throw this anxious, overstimulated woman just like a ton of more stimulation. Um, I wrote down that when my house feels out of control or loud or chaotic, which is like all the time, um, he is my Jehovah Shalom which means the Lord of peace. Um, I have to sing worship songs all day long, and I sing them out loud. I sing them in my head. Um, It helps to calm me down, but it also helps me to keep my mouth shut when I want to say something that, I mean, mean, it doesn't work all the time. But (laughs) I want to say something that I shouldn't to somebody. Um, So yeah, so the Lord definitely works with me through worship songs. and throughout this whole week, like, I just kept, like, I kept remembering, do you remember, like, the Israelites in the Old Testament, how they would stack up those, like, stones of remembrance? Mm. Um, it was to mark those moments that they would never forget God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And they, they could look back on their own history um, and go, oh, my gosh, like, God was with me. Um, he never left me. So I have to do the same, like, all the time. I have to remind myself of his goodness and his faithfulness all the time because an anxious brain can, I mean, we can speed forward 10 years and be like worried about what's going to happen in 10 years from now. (laughs) So um, he helps me feel grounded. Um, So I wrote, when I began to feel anxious about my or like my, my kid's health, he is my Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals. And I know this because of the history we have. We have a history of me having chronic illness. We have a history of, um, we had a son born with a heart defect and he needed open heart surgery. Um, And I'm doing good and he's, and Shepard's doing good. Like we have this history that I can draw back on and go, oh my gosh, God, why do I have to be anxious over my health right now? Because I know from my history that you are the God who heals. You are my Jehovah Rapha. Um, when I'm anxious about my finances and like two of our cars are broken right now. (laughs) He is my Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Um, I was reminded again, it's like, I have to go back on my history. Um, 10 years ago, we were thrown into an adoption of our, of our daughter and we were like broke, broke, like had nothing. (laughs) And this was a (laughs) $35,000 endeavor and God provided like he provided we have no debt from that like he provided he's my jehovah jireh um there are days when i feel unqualified and ill-equipped okay i shouldn't say days there's like every day i feel (laughs) (laughs) ill-equipped and i'm sitting on the floor and i'm overwhelmed with life he is my elroy which means the god who sees me um something that's been going on in our house um my oldest, well, both my daughters, their biological mom died like, I don't know, a year and a half-ish ago. Um, and every night it's like tears and she's processing through and she's asking me like all sorts of questions that I, sorry, I'm going to cry. I don't even know how to answer them. I don't know. Um, but if he's my Elroy, if he's the God who sees me, he's the God who sees her. Sorry, I shouldn't put that in there. <laughs> it makes me cry. And I have to, and I have to remember that. I have to remember that. He's the God who sees her. And he knows her. And 
he has, he has to come in and comfort her in all the ways that I can't because I don't even have the words most of the time. Um, when I feel misunderstood and something is being said of me that's untrue, <laughs> he is my El Emet, which means the God of truth. And I know this because, again, I have the history of things being unspoken that weren't true. And, and it comes out in the end that they were untrue. <laughs> and God's justice did prevail. And I just I keep stacking those stones of remembrance because I have to. <laughs> Um, I have so many other examples, too, of how he's come through for me and my children, and he's never let us down. Um, he is my, I wrote, he is my Elohim Kayim, which means the living God. He is my Jehovah Roah, which means the Lord is my shepherd. And he is Yahweh, which means I am. And that puts me back in my place when I start to feel self-righteous <laughs> and like I can't do it all on my own. Um, and then I wrote, I don't do any of this perfect because I don't. Um, and that is why I need a savior. And that is why my children need one too. Because, yeah, we just, we just do. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Janice. Um, Evan, same questions to you. Uh, what does life look like right now in the day-to-day? -day? And then... How do you practice abiding in the midst of that life? Yeah, so uh, so life right now is um, a couple different things, um, but uh, the the most basic would be uh, family at home, two little girls, three and three and under, um, which has its all the all the parents in the room like has its own unique adds its own unique complexities and just uh, uh, naturally deviating towards chaos and um, wildness and busyness and loudness and things like that. Um, uh, ad additionally, um, from, a, from, like a, from like a work standpoint, um, I'm doing things as, um, as uh, operations pastor here at River's Edge throughout the week that looks like a lot of either computer work or miscellaneous work running errands or here at the building or um, uh, scheduling things or, you know, it, it, it feels like a lot of operational busy tasks. Um, so the, 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 um, the task list always seems full, which kind of to me is like a weird enjoyment. Like I, I like like having things that uh, I need to do that are that are uh, that can can be checked off. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, my professional background is a physical therapist. So uh, one day a week, I'm at Eastern Washington University teaching. Three days a week, I'm at Whitworth teaching. And then a couple days, two or three days, I'm uh, in the clinic uh, at, uh, uh, as a clinician. So, um, so a, lot of, a lot of moving pieces. And um, that's, you know, in the midst of that, it's, you know, get home after... 11, 12 hours and it's dad time and play time and all that kind of stuff until we go crashing into bed at night kind of thing. So that's what it feels like um, kind of on a, on a weekly basis at large. And all I'd say before I kind of share about what abiding looks like for me, I was just thinking as Janice, as you were sharing and how uh, you were mentioning how it's easy to get overwhelmed real quick. I'm kind of the opposite where I feel like I kind of... Uh, secretively long for kind of like the the drug of busyness and um, productivity and tasks and things like that. So for me, uh, I almost feed off of that. And so the opposite is true. It's hard for me to like come to a stop. It's hard for me to like slow. It's hard for me to like get into those moments of just like quiet and peace. And like internally, I'm just like, there's something wrong here. Like I need to be doing something. I need to be I need to be producing. I need to be checking something off a list. Um, like I'm at peace when that's happening. And so all that to be said is for me, the things that I've had to be very diligent about is um, uh, really titrating into my days, times where I'm intentionally uh, in the quiet, in the slow with Jesus. So as I think about abiding, I would say growing up in the church, um, 
you know, we grew up going um, to a kind of a very traditional Nazarene church. And so uh, ab abiding was um, conceptually, I kind of I knew like, oh, abiding, abode, make our home with Jesus. Like, uh, like uh, the, I could see, like, I understand like where they got that from the Greek and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Um, but as far as beyond the concept into practice, I had no idea what that looked like. Um, uh, it was very um, commonplace, I would say, for me, or very, uh, I, could, I could wrap my mind around like a quiet time, if that makes sense, and like, uh, like scriptures, oh, I, need, I know I need to do that. But again, in my personality and my bent, I was like, sweet, throw it on the checklist, like, you know, like uh, read, check, got that done, like quiet time, check, prayer, check. Um, but as I've, as I've kind of grown and as I've really, uh, I would just say, just learn to walk with Jesus more, just that concept of uh, abiding, it, it's just, it strikes me how relational it is. And I think, um, I guess, going back to kind of the, the church tradition I came from and just even my own lens on what it means to walk with God, it really, and this maybe falls in line with my need for busyness and productivity and checklists and things like that, anything that sounded transactional always made tons of sense to me. So like um, even, even, um, even from a, from a like structure standpoint of like Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior, like those things like made sense to me um, just because I feel like I could wrap my arms around them without them being relational. And so the call to and the invitation to uh, walk with Jesus and even just the, the concept of apprenticing under him and um, abiding with him is just like I, as I grow and as I understand him and know him more and more, I just can't escape the uh, how relational that is. And so that's been really helpful for me um, just kind of as I've grown where it's like I don't need to like do something. Um, I don't need to, it's not a matter of like checking things off. It's just like going in, you know, that first bullet point we had up there. It's just being with Jesus. And so for me, that's been, that's been really hard because um, it's, it was a matter of first just kind of getting in it into my mind conceptually and then getting into my bones pragmatically. And like, how do I like flesh this out and work this out on a daily basis where um, it's really easy just to stay busy and to stay frantic um, so I would say that um, for me, uh, a lot of it has been just learning and walking with him, but it's also been exposure to just the idea of walking with Jesus on a, just on a daily and hourly and minute by minute basis. Um, and so I know some people that were really formative for me um, as far as um, just understanding the invitation of the life that is... Um, uh, on tap to each and every one of us now uh, is um, as far as just a couple a couple people from the past um, that I've that I've read and just have really opened my eyes would be uh, Brother Lawrence if you guys aren't familiar with him but also Frank Laubach and so um, they speak through the lens of like uh, it's where we kind of get the concept of like practicing the presence of God just like both of them were very just like experimentally driven of like how can I just like converse with you all throughout my day? How do I keep you on the forefront of my mind like all throughout the day? It's this, it's, it's the idea of relationship. Like, hey, if you were, if you are with me, like I know you are, if you were, you know, a human being right next to me and we were going all throughout our day together, we would be conversing, we would be interacting, we would be doing things together. Um, and so those were very challenging concepts to me and very challenging uh, testimonies of like, what a life possibly looks like. And for me, like I can, I can uh, look at their lives and read their lives and even just people like David, I was just um, um, a few different times throughout the Psalms, actually a, a lot of the time throughout the Psalms, David is, David uses these expressions like, like, oh, I always keep the Lord before me. Like all throughout the day, I just keep him before me. And in Psalm 27, He's like, oh, this is what I seek, just that I would dwell with him all the days of my life, that I would constantly be looking upon his beauty. And then he says later down here, um, I say to my heart consistently, seek his face, seek his face, your face, O Lord, I will seek. So even like David, just like Frank Laubach and Brother Lawrence and these brothers and sisters, um, 
uh, fathers and mothers of like the church tradition. Like there's, there's this common thread of just like these people are like, no, like the, the invitation and the apprenticeship with Jesus is just like this all the time uh, with him kind of thing. And so I would say for me, what that looks like is um, I'm very like pragmatic and practical. And for me, I have to like put these things in stone to almost, I don't want to say keep myself in check, but I know, I know myself and I know my tendency to just like kind of get ramped up into the, the checklist of life. So I would say for me in my season of life, just kind of some practical things that I do to try to be with Jesus is um, one, um, get up before the house gets up. Um, so especially the two-headed monsters of Clark and Blakely. Um, and so, but just like, just get up before the house gets up when it's quiet, um, before Blakely starts like knocking on her door, like yelling my name or something like that. Uh, so that would be one thing just because I know for me, it's so hard to find it later on in the day. And that's been through experimentation. That's been over the past year of like, okay, when can I, when can I step away? When can either of us step away and just like be with Jesus? And for me, it's like, I've tried a lot of different things and it's so hard to be consistent. And so for me, it's just been like, I just got to get up before, before everybody else and hope that my alarm doesn't wake Clark up. So, um, so that would be one practice. Uh, the other one would be, uh, I would say probably for the past year and a half, we've been trying to implement Sabbath in our home on Saturdays. Um, Sundays do not feel restful just with wrangling kids to the Sunday gathering and stuff like that. So for us, slowing down and um, Sabbathing from like uh, Friday evening through Saturday. Um, and that's really, again, just no, um, my personality. I would say we've been working on it for the past year and a half because it f has felt like we're working on it to really set aside the things in our week and just to stop and to slow and to just to just be with Jesus, to um, set aside all the other distractions and the um, tasks of life and say, you know, like, I got the kids, like, you go, you go be away. And, uh, okay, you got the kids, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to go uh, be away and take some time. But for me, it's, um, I've just recognized in my own heart that uh, for me to just live the kind of the checklist-oriented productivity life all throughout the week and then just go, like, crashing into Saturday it's really hard for me to just like flip the switch and do it on a Saturday. And so those things like getting up before the house gets up. And the other thing that I've, I commute a lot. I'm in, I'm in the car quite a bit, especially as I drive to the clinic over in Idaho. And I've been really challenged to use that time in the car, at least one, one half of my commute. It's so easy for me to like, well, I should be doing something like learning something. So like, here's a podcast or here's an audio book or something like that. Um, so for me, the challenge has been like, can I just like commute in a quiet car? Like I have 45 minutes. Can I just like put, keep my phone in my bag and turn off the radio and just for the next 45 minutes, just like sit and be with Jesus. And so I would say my habit, um, has been like at least for half of my commute. So either on the way there or on the way back, it's usually on the way there. Cause on the way back, I'm just like, I just need to like turn on like sports talk radio or something like that. Like I'm just like so fried from a, from a mental capacity standpoint. So it's usually on the, it's usually on the way, on the way to the clinic. But those are things that I've tried to kind of implement through my week, just so that when, when we get to Saturday, like we want it to feel, I suppose, like the climax of our week, like, oh, like we're just naturally uh, or more naturally uh, entering into uh, the rest and the, uh, the companionship, the friendship that Jesus offers us. Um, so those are just some things, some practical things. I like practical. It helps me. So, um, but those are just kind of some ways in my season of life of what abiding looks like. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I will make another quick plug for, there's a book called practicing his presence, uh, that is, has two, I guess authors, or they pulled material from two sources. It's Frank Laubach, however you pronounce his last name, and Brother Lawrence. And it is my favorite little book. It's so readable. It's my favorite book outside of the library of scripture. It is so, so good. And it's all about this, abiding, practicing his presence, finding ways to just subtly turn your attention and awareness toward him throughout the day uh, in a way that's really fun and engaging and life-giving. So 
I would highly recommend that book if you're a book person. Uh, and yeah, I would also say I've just been really impressed with you both over the years and the way that you, Janice, I'm impressed that you're sane uh, with five and a half children uh, and several of them, you know, coming from trauma and a dog and cats and I think you had a live squirrel in your house the other day, uh, which is pretty exciting. Not many of us can say that, but just like, you know, we to be in that place, but just to have these anchor points of focusing on the names and aspects of who God is, having these touch points of remembering in the midst of the current chaos, uh, the, the way worship anchors you and all of that. And we can see the light and the fruit in your life that you're bearing in the midst of a circumstance that many of us are like, I could not handle that. Um, so that's, we, I've been really impressed with that over the years. And uh, Evan, I was always impressed with the way that you approached work specifically, and I remember chatting with you in the past about, so being a physical therapist, walking into a room with an injured patient, you're conversing with the patient, but you are conversing with God at the same time. And so you're like listening to him, but in, in your mind, in your heart, you're also saying, Lord, is there something else I need to know? Is there something I'm missing? Surely you understand this situation better than I ever could. And actually getting, I think what we would call like supernatural insight into a medical diagnosis for a patient because of the way you're abiding and practicing his presence in that moment. So that's two, what I feel are very compelling snapshots or versions of abiding. Um, so let's give a round of applause for these guys. You can head back to your seats. Um, we have one more person that I've asked to share, and it's none of you in the room, so deep breath. Uh, but some of you will know um, Brian Olson, who was a part of our community for years, felt called to uh, resign his job as a soccer coach at Whitworth, to move almost as far away as you can from Spokane, Washington, out to Nepal. And he's been working there to uh, serve and uh, share the gospel with unreached people groups. And he's another person that comes to my mind as somebody who's just like in the presence of God uh, all the time. Like, man, if I wanna get in touch with God's presence, I just go out to coffee with Bo and just like let him talk and just sit there and like, man, you are just like in the presence of the Lord uh, all the time. And so I asked him, I said, hey, can you give us a quick update from Nepal and some thoughts on what it looks like for you to abide uh, in your everyday life? And so he sent me a video that I received last night uh, answering those questions. Uh, we're going to watch that and then end our teaching time. Hey, good morning, River's Edge. Brian Olson here, coming to you from the Kathmandu Valley in Nepal. And I am abiding. When I think about that word, one of the first things that pops into my mind is the word feasting. And I get that from a little earlier in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 56, where Jesus is speaking again. And he says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And that word remain is the same word that's later used as abide. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to share one story today that will just highlight a little bit of what it's been for me to feast on him and who he is. Uh, and it will also give you a glimpse into just some of my life here in Nepal. So as I said, my name is Brian. I moved here to the Kathmandu Valley a little over nine months ago from beautiful Spokane, Washington. And I'm spending most of my days um, enrolled in two Nepali language schools, uh, just trying to immerse as much as possible, learning how to read and to write and to speak uh, as I learn the culture as well. Um, it's been a beautiful process. Um, I also have a little scooter moped that I cruise around the streets of, of Kathmandu to get to class. And the Lord has also planted me with just a beautiful body of believers, some, some amazing people who love Jesus and want to know him and honor him and make his love known. Uh, from here in Nepal, many people from here in Nepal and many from all over the world. And I've been so 
thankful for this group of people that the Lord has planted me with. Um, so the story comes from this group of people. Uh, this is a couple months back. And every Wednesday morning, we gather together to share a meal and then spend a couple of hours just in prayer and worship together, just seeking the Lord and praising the Lord and seeing what's on his heart and ministering to his heart. And we go to the same spot every Wednesday morning, this beautiful uh, property uh, that has a prayer room inside. It's one of my favorite places. It probably is my favorite place, that prayer room in all of Nepal thus far. And it was a Wednesday morning and we were praying and we were worshiping. And while we were there, I felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart, hey, leave the prayer room right now and come around this property, walk this property with me. So I left the prayer room and I started walking through this big guest house and all through this property. Um, just saying, okay, Lord, what, yeah, what do you have for this place? What are you, what are you speaking over this place? What are you speaking to me in this place right now? And while I was walking through this house and looking in the different rooms and spaces and places, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Brian, I want to give this property uh, to this group of people that you're a part of. I want to give this property to you. And in that same moment, he let me see where the funds were going to come from uh, to uh, rent this property, to pay for um, the, the price of renting this property. So he spoke, I, I want to give this property to you and here's where the money is going to come from. So I, I go back to the prayer room and the worship time is just finishing up and, and I go and find one of our leaders and I say, hey, I, I feel like the Lord just spoke to me. Here's what he said. And the leader said to me, okay, if this is from the Lord, he, he is gonna provide and uh, we'll, just, we'll just set it before him um, to see what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. So a couple weeks start to pass and we begin to pray into this as a group and we say, Lord, if, if this is really something that you want, uh, the property is becoming available soon. If this is what you want for us, how much do you want us to pay in rent? Uh, it's a big place. It's an expensive piece of property in Kathmandu. But Lord, if you want us to have this, um, you'll, you'll let us know a price that you want us to pay as well. So we spent some more time on another Wednesday morning here in the same prayer room just asking the Lord, saying, hey, would you put it on our hearts? And after that time, he gave us a number as a, as a group uh, that we felt he was speaking, hey, this is the price that I, I want you to pay as you step into uh, stewarding this space. So now we had a number and we had a word from the Lord. And now we reached out to the landlord. Um, one of our leaders got in touch with him and said, hey, we know the property is going to be up for rent soon here is what we are willing to rent it for. Uh, what do you think? And the landlord got back to him rather quickly and he said, actually, I just had the property evaluated, estimated for what the price should be in the current market. And it's over two times what you've just offered me. Uh, I also have a couple other groups who are very interested. I've been talking to for a couple of weeks now. We're almost done with the deal. So basically, thank you, but no thank you. And uh, we didn't hear from him for a couple of weeks after that. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, did I hear you rightly? Or maybe I didn't hear you completely. Maybe you want to give us this space, but maybe it's a couple years down the road and I didn't even bother to ask you the time frame. Maybe it's not right now. You do want this to be our space and property, uh, but it's sometime in the future. Maybe I, maybe I didn't hear you right. And just this doubt starts to creep in. And that doubt got furthered. Uh, another Wednesday, uh, we show up for prayer and when we finish, we're coming out of the prayer on that property and I see the landlord and he is meeting with six or seven Nepali men all dressed uh, in suits and ties and they were there from a hospital to put an offer in on the property. They wanted to change the property into hospital. So I walk out of that Wednesday just completely defeated saying, oh, I, I must have heard you wrong, Lord. Um, we're clearly out of our league here. Here's some men who are very, very well dressed, ready to put a lot more money down on the table than we are able to. 
or that you've asked us to. And uh, yeah, I, I, I clearly heard something wrong here, Lord. Walked away a little defeated from that time. Um, but the next morning, the very next morning, I got a text from a person in our group that said the landlord wants to meet and he's lowered the price and he wants to meet with our group. And it turns out that the group the day before from the hospital, uh, they had put an offer in, but after they left, the neighbors from the surrounding houses had come and talked to the landlord and said, if you bring a hospital here, we're gonna come against you with everything that we have. We'll, we'll bring lawyers into it, the police if we can. We don't want this place, uh, the new traffic that will come into our community, the sick people that will come into our community. We, we don't want a hospital here in this area. We'll come against you with everything that we have. So the landlord said, okay, I, I, I don't want to deal with that. I have another group who's willing to talk to me. Um, and that was us. He said, I'm willing to lower the price and come and talk. So I got to meet with him that afternoon with a Nepali friend of mine. We went and we met with the landlord for three hours and we're, and we're just enjoying time with him and talking with him and learning about some of his story and his life and his family. And finally he comes around to the property and says, okay, here's what it's been estimated at. Here's what I had an offer for yesterday, but here's what I'm willing to offer it to you. Um, he said, you can take this or leave this, but, but this is the price. It's a great price. It's way lower than what we started at. What do you think? And I'm, I'm thinking and I'm praying, Lord, what do I think? What do we think? What do you think? And, and the Lord had give us, given us a number, right? We had asked him and we had prayed. And what the landlord had brought it down to was still above the price that the Lord had given us. And so I said, sir, the, the, the property is beautiful. We, we love this place. We're ready to move in just as soon as we can. We can't wait uh, to step into this place. We would love to be here. But the price we feel that we're supposed to pay uh, is this. It's under what you're offering. And he said, okay, I, I said, take it or leave it. And that's saying, leave it. So you're not interested. We can stay here. We can drink tea. We can keep connecting. Um, but this property is, is not for you. Um, I'm going to go offer it to someone else if you're not willing to pay this price that I've come down to. And he said, oh, God, what are, what are we supposed to do now? Um, Lord, Lord, what do you want? And, and I'm just sitting there and I'm praying and I'm spending time with the Lord while my friend and the landlord continue to talk. And while they're talking, I'm, I'm praying, just saying, Lord, what do you want to do? And after, after a little while, the Lord lets me see in, in the spirit. He lets me physically see something coming down and falling on the landlord, the spirit of God falling on the landlord. And while that was happening, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Brian, I'm changing this man's heart right now. And, and after, after a couple of minutes, the landlord and my friend stopped talking. And the landlord just looks down and he's quiet for one of the first times in our three hours together. And he looks down, just quiet with himself. And then when he picks his head back up, he just says, hey, the price that you have offered, I'm willing to accept and move forward with. <laughs> and, and from that day on, the, the deal has been set. We had to do the paperwork and walk into the necessities of what it was. But, but the Lord changed this man's heart uh, right, before, right before my eyes. Um, so, so beautiful. I'm actually sitting on the property right now as I tell this story, uh, not far away from where we met with the landlord. <clears throat> but but how, this, how this ties into me with the word feasting and abiding is this. Uh, you remember... I, I said, while I was walking around the property, the Lord let me know where the money was going to come from. And in, in, that, in that moment, uh, he let me see so clearly. And, and here's where the money was going to come from is I, I worked in Spokane at Whitworth for 12 years. I was a soccer coach there, um, privileged to, to be able to do what I got to do there in that community. And during that time, Whitworth had a retirement fund where I would put money away and Whitworth would put money away. And 
the Lord, the Lord spoke to me in that time. And he said, Brian, this, this fund of money is the money that I'm going to use to fund uh, your group moving into this new place. And while I was spending time with the Lord, saying, "God, um, are you are you sure this is the this is the money?" Because in my mind, this this was something that was kind of off the table, and it was a little seed of doubt even for my future. Saying, "Lord, if you don't come through in the future, at least I know I I have this set aside for when I'm 60 or 65 or down the road if things don't turn out well." Um, if I'm really in a pinch, hey, at least I know I have this sum of money uh, set aside. And, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly and he said, Brian, I provided you this job at Whitworth. I, I ushered you into that place. I sustained you while I was there. I'm the one who provided that opportunity for you. And I put that money away for this exact purpose. You thought, Brian, that it was for your future. If things went bad or didn't turn out the way that you thought they would, you'd have something to rely on. That's not me. And the Lord spoke to me and he just said, I put this money aside for this exact purpose, in this exact time, in this exact place. This is what I had in mind. Hey, when, when I ushered you into that job at Whitworth and I set that money aside, you had no idea at that time, but I did. And, and I just received that and I said, Lord, the, the reality that I was living in, was this little seed of doubt of if you don't come through in the future, I still need something of my own strength to rely on. And I'm not speaking against retirement accounts or putting money away here. That can be wisdom. Um, but I am, I am just trying to communicate, oh, his ways are different than our ways and his thoughts are different than our thoughts. And he invites us into this radical place of saying, you get to die to everything else in this world and you get to come and follow me. And that means everything is on the altar. Everything is on the altar. And when everything's on the altar, you get to feast on me and who I am and, and who I say you are and what the reality of this world is. So as, as I brought that, that money onto the altar, I got to abide. I got to look at Jesus and I got to feast on him, on his body completely given for me. Not a little bit saved for later. He completely gave it for me and his blood poured out for the complete forgiveness of sins, complete right standing, not a little bit that all have to do later down the road. He held nothing back. And he invites us into that same place of abiding, of feasting, saying what I am going to intake is your body, is your blood, Lord is your, your thoughts and your ways, not what this world has to offer. That will look different for each one of us. But I, I pray today, Lord, that you would just give us the revelation and the understanding even further, even deeper, even wider, even longer of your love, what it is to feast on you and what you've done and who you are. May that be our reality. May we abide in you and feast on the reality of who you are and what you've done. Bless you today, River's Edge. You are loved. I look forward to when our paths get to cross again. Bye for now. I'll invite you to stand with me as we close. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll open up the communion tables. Uh, I wish Bo was were with us right now, because uh, I think he would do a really good job of leading us in communion. <laughs> his body broken, his blood shed completely for us. Uh, let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, we are gathered here in this room this morning because of the reality of your body broken, the reality of your blood shed, 
and the reality of the empty tomb that followed. You had a life, a type of life, a substance, a quality, this thing called life that is truly life that not even death could put down. It was bigger than that. It couldn't, it couldn't be held by that. And now you come to us with scarred hands, but hands that are full of life. You just say, this is what I want to give to you. The enemies come to steal and kill and destroy and distract and pick you apart, but not me. No, no, I've come in self-giving love. I've come that you would have life and life to the full. So we say, whoa, Lord, what do, how do we receive that? Uh, how do we walk in that? And he says, abide. Abide in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. So Jesus, I, I pray that as we um, go from this place, having heard three different uh, angles or snapshots or versions of abiding, Lord, would you show us our lane? Would you show uh, me what it looks like for me to abide with you? Would you show each person here, hey, this is, this is what it's going to look like for you to abide in me and to bear much fruit. This is what it's going to look like for you to step into deeper and deeper life with me. God, each one of us wants that. We're actually craving that life, and yet we look for it in shallow places because it's so fast and so accessible and so simple and so easy to just go binge watch a show or whatever it is because we're trying to draw life out of it. And, and yet... Here you are with your, with your arms open, with your hands full of life, saying, come to me, all you who are burdened and weary and broken down. I'm going to show you a better way to live. Rest for your souls. Communion with me. You will remain in me. I will remain in you. God, please show us what this looks like. And may that be the basis of any fruit that we bear. Teach us to abide as the master teacher. In Jesus' name, amen.